1: Everybody, what is up? Welcome to another episode of After Impact. I am your host Tom Billu, and I am here
0: with Agent Smith, Mister Billu. What's up, dude? How's it going?
1: It's going very well, thank you. How about Being you? Back? It's good to be back. Yeah, it is very good to be back. back.
0: Thank you. We uh, we missed you while you were out. Wow, and Lisa,
1: we missed you guys. And while I know it was wildly like indulgent. We loved the after, um, not after impact, the the Q and A that you guys did so much. We really, really had a good time with that. I cannot <laughs> really wait for you time. guys to do another one. That's yeah. going to be
0: a lot of fun. Happening Friday. Yes, T-N. and
1: hopefully you guys love it as much as we do. Um, it really reinforced in us how powerful it is to just ask pointed specific questions like things that you kind of think you know so you never yeah. really think to ask yeah but then when you hear people's answers you're like whoa i actually didn't realize that yeah really cool loved it the most
0: yeah well it was a lot of fun and your questions are great and we're going to get into some more of those on friday nice but let me welcome everyone here on facebook live this is after impact we're doing it on a tuesday which is not normal for us but tom yes. has to go out of town again we want to make sure we do this live with you guys but this is the show where we go deep into the episode of Impact Theory. This week's guest, Jay Williams. The man, the myth, the legend.
1: Yeah. This, this one really impacted me. Yeah, I know. Really. I
0: know it did. And you read the book and that really yes. impacted you deeply.
1: No too. question. Yeah, his book, guys, yeah. honestly, I know I harp on it in the episode, but like watch or read the book. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. He takes you on an amazing emotional journey. And I think he wrote it by himself. I don't remember there being a co-author. It is beautifully written love and that. super raw, super vulnerable, really takes you on an incredible journey. And because I'm not Agent Smith, bring him in. Absolutely.
0: Bring in the uh, figurines. There so he well. is. All right. I, I like it. Yeah, box, we got to do this. I love the box so much.
1: There it is. Yep. All right, All right. so um, yeah, just the, the book really, really takes you on a journey. I'm not a sports fan, so I didn't know if he made a comeback or not, and yeah. so reading it not knowing, like I know sort of where he ends up at the end of his journey, but I don't know anything about the
0: middle, so that was a, a, just a crazy ride. Yeah, and just to give our listeners and audience a background on Jay Williams, if you haven't seen the episode yet, We'll let you slide a little bit because it's only been live for a few hours. Um, But he was an all-star basketball player at Duke, um, was All-American a couple of different times. He ended up having his uh, jersey, retired in the rafters at their um, arena there. He was drafted in the 2002 NBA draft to the Chicago Bulls. He was going to be the next face of the franchise. He had taken over Michael Jordan's locker. I mean, he was going places. Spent one year in the NBA and then got into a horrific motorcycle accident. And his entire career uh, became, came to an end because he ruined his leg, right? Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. He was a point guard? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And you got to be able to move if you're a point guard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just uh, the story on its surface is heartbreaking. And what's crazy is the moment he got in the accident, the first words out of his mouth were, I've thrown it all away. He collides with a pole at 70 miles an hour, is laying on the ground and just starts screaming, I've thrown it all away, I've thrown it all away. Because he knew like, it was just such a bad accident.
0: Yeah. But the good part of the story is that he rebuilds himself, his mindset, brick by brick and has gone on to have a great career as an ESPN analyst doing college basketball. Motivational speaker, he's written an amazing book, and he's done a number of other things, and his star is rising.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. I am so interested. I mean, this is like the tale for me, right? Like, what can you do when you have to rebuild yourself? And in the episode I talked about, the inner cities destroys virtually everyone that it touches. But every now and then, When you put people through that pressure cooker, you get somebody who responds to it. They just somehow, some way, and Jay-Z to me is, is the perfect example of somebody who has become more, I think, because of what he went through. And I think that he would just be such a fundamentally different person if he hadn't gone through the hardships that he went through. And I think the same is true of Jay. I think that we can expect, not only is he already done just an amazing transformation he's a uh, an entrepreneur like you said he's a motivational speaker he's a very talented and very prominent um, analyst for basketball just has already lived a life that most people couldn't dream of and i think he's just going to go on to do more and i think that the mindset change that he's gone through and what he's had to suffer and endure it's just it has formed him into an incredible human being i cannot wait to see what he does moving forward. And off camera, we were talking and it's just like, there's really something to this guy. And I think that when you have to endure something like that, it either breaks you and you just sort of disappear and you go away or you really become something unstoppable. And I think that, I think he's unstoppable.
0: Yeah. You mentioned something in the interview that you felt like his actions were consistent throughout his life, having done the research you did and read his book. And I wanted to dive into that because you, you often talk about these moments of trial and tribulation and suffering break most people, but some people come out better for it. Um, you think that he's that person? So he was that way before this accident happened,
1: yeah. So he didn't get any recognition, like when he was coming up as a basketball player, nobody expected much from him in high school. He barely, at least what it seemed like, barely gets accepted into college, but ultimately ends up actually being relatively competitive. A lot of people competing for him. Goes to college. His first year, he's not very good, I mean, Mm -hmm. by sort of collegiate standards. But by the time he finishes his second year, I mean, he's just dominant and ends up going back for a third year. But he was so good by the end of his second year, he could have gone into the NBA directly. But like just is is a grinder like he just puts in the work Mm -hmm. and doesn't need other people to tell him how great he is like he understands how to leverage a chip on his shoulder to really work hard outwork other people and just through sheer force of will get good at something and it's a classic tale of like shooting baskets in the backyard at night and just you know practice 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 and um has the same kind of transformation in his is the one and only year that he played in the nba where um he really, like the the Chicago Bulls at the time have sort of fallen from grace. This is post-Jordan era. They've really fallen apart. He comes on the team. The team's very lazy. They're not coherent. They're not playing well. And he starts falling into sort of the traps of all this stuff and then realizes, wait a second, like what am I doing? If I want to be one of the greatest of all time, I've got to put my head down, do the work, and really get great. And I think it was the last 19 games of the season or something just absolutely crushes it. And people were... Starting to say to him, like, whoa, you keep on this trajectory, you're going to have an all-star career, like, this is going to be unbelievable. And so that work ethic, that ability to beauty and rage, like, want to be one of the greatest and at the same time, like, have the chip on your shoulder the people that doubt you and, like, knowing how to leverage them both, like, he just had all of that, like at all times in his life. And so when you see him then go through the rehab, it's like all that same stuff, right? Just putting in way more work than most people, really wanting to create something new, being so pissed off at what he had done, leveraging both of those things, and then getting into being an analyst and like really wanting to be great at it and just putting an inhuman amount of work um, into getting great. He's just always leverage that i won't say he always had it because i don't think people are born with that stuff but he so relatively I was, I was early on in that. his life
0: so you think work ethic is the x factor there yeah 100 percent. okay so how do you know if you have that kind of work ethic
1: you don't you develop it uh in fact Ch- uh, Chaz, chase new t-shirt you ready for this right. development greater than um what would be another D word for like found, present? Anyway, that's the thing. I don't want to derail the show. I had it this morning. I'll remember it again. But you develop it instead of finding it. That's the, the moral of the story. Everybody like find, find, find. How do you know if you have it? You don't. You develop it. You create it. Like out of thin air, you develop that skill set.
0: So but let's say you're a hard worker already, right? You yeah. consider yourself a hard worker. It's part of your identity. How do you know, am I working at that level that I need to be?
1: So it's interesting. I'm reading Barking Up the Wrong Tree right now. He's coming on the show. This will definitely be one of the things that we talk about where he says in the book, you used to be able to look to the outside world to tell you when something was enough because you lived in a small tribe. Uh, you found your niche. You got great at it and you were delivering the value that you needed to to the tribe. But now you live in this hyper-connected global economy with you know 7 billion people. You're yeah. never going to be the greatest of all time. Like the number of people that become a Michael Phelps or a Michael Jordan, it's essentially zero. Yeah. And so if that's never going to be you, like how do you deal in that world? And he said, basically people just end up working themselves to death. And there's this point of diminishing returns and all this stuff. And that is so anathema to like my yeah. belief system.
0: I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to ask this very question. <laughs> yeah. So he says in the, in the episode, he tells that great story about Kobe Bryant. Yeah. How He goes in before the Laker game, and they're facing the Lakers, and it's Kobe. And he wants to show him like, I can do this. I'm a good player. We have a strong team. So he goes in before the game, practices for an hour and a half. Kobe's in the gym, too, practicing, right? Kobe practices for another half hour after he's done. And then after the game, when Kobe drops 40 on them in the game. So he goes up and asks him, he's like, "Like, why did you do that? Why did you practice so long before the game? And he said, because you were in there, and I saw you. And I had to practice more than you did. And right? I
1: wanted you to know, no matter how hard you work, I'm willing to work harder.
0: Yeah. And
1: that's nothing against you,
0: right? It's personal. Needed you to know. So what do you do with that? If there's always going, if you take Eric Barker at his word, and there's always going to be someone right. better who's willing to work harder, how does that not become just completely <laughs> defeating?
1: You ready for my real answer? Mm-hmm. And I am so interested to have this conversation with a one Agent Smith, because I'm really, I think you and I, like there's an interesting um, difference of viewpoint between us on a lot of things. I yeah. think you're gonna think I'm a little crazy on this one. <laughs> um, my honest answer is you become the one. There, there is no other attitude to take. Now sure. I, I say that knowing full well most people won't do it. Most people will not heed that advice. Sure. Most people are, they're gonna break, they're gonna give up, but what I value in myself is a willingness to be the one. Sure. The Michael Jordan, the um, uh, Phillips, I just lost his name. Uh, the most winning, most Olympic gold M- M- medals. M- Michael Phelps, yeah. there we go. Yeah. Uh, like that, like, I will punish myself for forgetting that, by the way. So, like, that, like, uh-huh. knowing that I am in the, the podcast that I did this morning, I. I had to look at a sign that somebody was showing me. It was Cindy. I guess this audience knows who that somebody was. Cindy was showing me something, and I looked at it, and I lost my train of thought, and I, I that is not acceptable for me. So I need to get better at that. Forgetting Michael Phelps, that's not okay for me. Like, these are this is how you become the one. And so I literally, anybody that's not willing to become the one, I don't understand them. I don't understand. Sure, and so what about... But no, 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 you don't get off that easy. Like, I want to know, like where is it for you? You're such an insightful dude, but yet I know you think that I'm crazy for that.
0: No, I don't think you're crazy. I think it comes, are
1: you prepared to be the one?
0: Am I? Yes. No. Yeah. But you don't think I'm crazy. That's interesting. No, because it's not where my interests are. Go on. So I, I think that if you want to be the, the best at something, then that's, that's awesome. That's like, go for it. Um, (laughs) it's not, to me, there's a point at which you're going to have to, when does becoming the best start to actually impact your, your health and your um, well-being, right? Because you have to rip yourself in half, right? You have to break yourself in half. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love
1: this. (laughs) Oh God, I have no idea how indulgent this is, but let's really go Mm -hmm. in on it. So if you don't intrinsically want that if you don't have some driving force in you that's compelling you to want to do that then don't do it like i totally yeah. get that but this is where if if your balance isn't at least 80 percent beauty like what are you doing like it doesn't make any sense right so where you aim that to me that is uh we're really going to go remind me to give you the leila ali thing that just happened on um yeah uh, a good story. chelsea yeah so um to me, like, if you're not doing something that you love and the more you do it, like, you really love it, then you're, I just think you're doing the wrong thing. I was just on vacation. And at the end of the vacation, I legitimately was hungry to come home. Like, I just couldn't wait to get back. I didn't like sort of pressing pause and the ambition for that long. Um, it just, it starts to make me feel icky. But at the same time, I was bordering on emotional. Like, I had this sense of, like, loss and sadness as we were leaving. Yeah. And I thought, that sums me up so perfectly. Like, it isn't that I don't like other things. Like, I loved it, but I needed to leave. I needed to leave. I had a compulsion mm-hmm. to be done with vacation. Even though it was so wonderful and so amazing and I so indulged in it and I, I have a way easier time turning that off than my wife. So it's actually interesting to see, like, whatever I do, I go all in. Yeah. So when I was on vacation, I was on vacation and it was lovely and I did some work but only because I was really having fun doing it and then when I think about what we're building here at Impact Theory there's two things going on one the day-to-day I love and let me just learn from my suffering boys and girls you can make the demand that you make a living doing something that you actually enjoy the day to day. So success is not promised, struggle is. But when you're struggling doing something that you actually enjoy in and of the moment, um, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it may come with some suffering, you actually still enjoy it, you can make that demand. And so as I pursue doggedly and relentlessly being number one, I only value myself, so first of all, I enjoy it, I enjoy the process, yeah. but I, I do not value myself on whether or not I become the one. Mm. I value myself based on my willingness to pursue it with everything that I have, and just the recognition of what the human condition is, which is brain chemistry, and so the second it's eroding me, then I would stop. If striving to be number one made me feel worse about myself, made me enjoy my life less, I would stop. Like I literally don't understand. 80, 20 motherfuckers, like look at your life. Once it starts sliding, you're doing something wrong. And if you're not leveraging the 20 to actually then get back to the 80, like that doesn't make any sense. The 20% of of, um, what I'll call anger, hatred, aggression, like all of the like ugly things, the rage, it's a tool and the moment that it's using you and you're not using it, then you need to get rid of it. So because I am constantly gut checking myself based on pain that I have suffered in the past, this is not like, Oh, I'm so clever. This was, I suffered so needlessly for so long that I just hit a point where, uh, I think it's Eckhart Tolle who refers himself as being enlightened. You'll never hear me say that about myself, but like having hit that out of absolute desperation. So the same as like, the insights that I've had in my life are because I'm so stupid, I can't stop myself from suffering. So, But through all that, I've realized these things. I've realized that I have a deep and compelling desire to be the greatest of all time. Um, I love that. The pursuit of that is so amazing. It doesn't matter if I ever accomplish it.
0: So it's really a device you use to inspire yourself.
1: Yeah, Can kind of. It, it is, but it's also real. And when I look at, like, I don't, it's not like I want to be the greatest of all time wing right. right i want to be the greatest of all time and i love having something astronomically large that you're striving for i just think the problem people make is they then make the mistake of wrapping their self esteem in the acquisition of some arbitrary thing yeah so being the greatest of all time is it's just a goal that you set for yourself so tying your self esteem to a finish line is suicide So I'm not going to do that. I know better than that. I've learned that lesson. So, but there are things that I value. And one of the things is is striving for improvement, to be better, to never um, put a ceiling on what you're willing to dream. So if there is no ceiling to what you're willing to dream, then like sort of by definition, you have to be willing to strive to be the greatest of all time. And because I won't suffer emotionally if I fail to achieve that, then it's only a bonus, right? It's only additive. It's only excitement. It's only the you know the inspiration, like you're saying. Um, but I want to be really clear. This is not me winking and saying I want to be the greatest. Got it. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: It's for real. I can get on board with that. Nice. So for me, it's about the process. Like if I have to enjoy the process and the process of becoming, like that's what that's what I want to pursue to no end. That's where I want to put all my energy. I don't use like becoming the best as a way to motivate myself. Um, I'm competitive by nature, I think. But if competition is not fun anymore, I will immediately withdraw. Like I, If it stops being fun for me, I'm, I'm done.
1: That's interesting. There's, because I know you, I don't think you're falling prey to this, but there's danger in, in fun... Because there are times where it's boring, it's painful, and oh, you have yeah. to like, you have to value the process of becoming sure. as much as you value or steer by enjoyment. I'm glad you brought up competition, <coughs> which reminds me of what I was going to say about Leila Ali. So she was recently on, so she's been a guest on Impact Theory, mm-hmm. and an amazing guest, and she was recently on um, Chelsea Handler. I guess it's not called that. It's the Netflix version, whatever it's called. Oh. Um, and. Chelsea does like these dinners Well, she'll invite in this case a bunch of um, former professional athletes and Layla was one of them and what what was the girl's name? She's on Olympian gymnastics. Allie Raisman. Allie Raisman. Okay, so Allie's on and for whatever reason, Allie's talking about how um, she was losing to Gabby. I know none of these people. Yeah. Let's say it was Gabby and the girl that came in first in the Olympics. And Ali said, like, I was competing against her all the time and losing, 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 losing. And I had been number one up until that point. She comes along and now I'm just number two, number two, number two. And basically at some point I came to grips with that and we just found a nice rhythm. And so I told her on the day of the Olympics, you know, we woke up and I go to her and I say, you know what, I can just feel it today. I'm gonna take second, you're gonna take first. And Layla Ali goes, and it will stay that way as long as you're saying that. And I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, truth bomb. <laughs> Right? Hashtag truth bomb. Yeah. And I was like, it's so true. Like, if And I get it. Now, I, I don't know if this is throwing him under the bus, and I like him so much. I hope not. But um, Sean White went through something similar where he had a roommate, and he and the roommate became very competitive, and he just had to separate himself. And he started living by himself, training by himself, so that he could win. And I, like, some people gave him shit about it, and I was like, I get it. Like, you trying to be the best or not? And it doesn't mean that you have to want for the other person's failure. You can want them to like be at their absolute best, be the best version of themselves. Are you trying to win or not? And and that that is hard for me. Like, that's where it's like, oh God, like you can't abandon like who you are. Like, I would never want something bad for right. somebody like I want to see them win but if I'm honest I want to win like I want to outperform them and you will never hear me say I, j- I literally can't allow myself to say it that well
0: I'll just be number two and you'll be number one can't do it fair enough well that was good that was a good conversation right there um let's kick it over to Facebook live let's bring it back to our audience thank you for joining us one um we're on two Facebook. if this is adding value Please share nice. if it's adding value. Um, we are doing After Impact. This is where we go deep into the episode of Impact Theory. And we just had Jay Williams on the show. Really, really good interview. This one was a, a lot of fun. Uh, here's, a couple, here's a question from Rohan. Tom, oh boy. that was an absolutely amazing interview with Jay Williams. I love this episode a freaking lot. One question. When you're trying to rebuild yourself by first recognizing who you are, just as Jay did, How did you start rebuilding yourself? Where do you start? I've tried to, but often I'm unable to discern the proper steps I need to take to rebuild mentally. What would you start with? So it's
1: the 25 bullet points. So those are the things that you need to do to, to build your mind, whether it's rebuilding or building for the first time, um, the things that you have to believe in the things you have to do. And, and that's it. So, um, Go to impacttheory.com and uh, sign up
0: for the newsletter, right? and It's um, a designed you version. You get it on the blog. You can download a copy of it if you sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. I'd rather you wall. sign up for the newsletter, if I'm really honest. Yeah. Uh, but
1: yeah, we've got that bad boy there. That is me crawling inside myself and saying, okay, what did I do? Um, so a couple of the things I'll just throw out. And ironically, I don't have these memorized, which now has become sort of a thing for me, uh, because I think memorizing them is stupid and living by them is critical. Um, one that, humans, the human potential is limitless. I think on the thing, this is nearly limitless. I'm toying with the idea of just totally abandoning nearly, which is just a way of not getting into arguments with people saying stupid things like, yeah, good luck, like walking off a roof and saying that gravity's not real. Um, So human potential is limitless. Um, You can do anything that you set your mind to without limitation. Um, Once you begin to believe like that, once you begin to accept that you can acquire any skill at any time. Once you realize that, um, you can help other people and do something great at the same time, like all of these things become the bricks that allow you to build an extraordinary life, become capable of extraordinary things. Like that's really what you need to do. But it starts with that belief that you can do anything. So once you have that, then it's, it's really going out and executing against that. And I guess because I start with that belief that it's not about me, it's not Tom can do anything he sets his mind to, it's the human animal can do anything they set their mind to. So now I just have to believe that that is true of the human animal, and I am a human animal, and so yay. Like That to me is, is the, the most sort of fundamental building block. Are humans capable of adaptation at that level, yes or no? Yes, okay, great. Then the rest is about putting in the work.
0: Yeah, nice. Uh, a couple of shout-outs here on our Facebook Live audience. We have Shana from Cary, Illinois. What's up, Shana? Kerry I hope I'm Illinois pronouncing House. that right. Uh, Deborah from Vancouver. Nice. Yeah. Washington or B.C.? B.C. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Alex from Ukraine. What's up, Alex? Nice. And if we have anyone from Los Angeles in the feed right now, please know that tomorrow is our second impact hour at Rush Street in Culver City. You can go sign up for the event, RSVP. We're going to be hanging out. People from the Impact Theory team. um, Tom will not be able to make this one, but uh, this is a chance for everyone in the community to get together, meet each other, see what projects you're working on, help each other out, live the impactivist lifestyle.
1: Love that. Um, And I will be at Comic-Con this year on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So any impactivists, keep your eyes peeled on my Facebook page. I will be announcing a when and where um just quick hello, what cool things have you seen here? Um kind of deal. So yeah,
0: keep your eyes peeled, Facebook. Nice. All right. So one of Jay's concepts from the episode is about building your executive board yeah. around you, um, which I thought was a really cool idea. So first can you just explain to the audience what that is in case they haven't seen the episode? And then I wanted to ask you. Is this something you've kind of tried to cultivate around you professionally um, throughout the years? No question.
1: So the idea said another way that I think people watching this podcast will be very familiar with. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So um, his concept is basically the people that are closest to you that are giving you advice, they can be completely random and haphazard. And at one point, one of the people on his advisory board was a 17-year-old drug dealer. Um, and he was just like, these are the people that were in my life. And so being around people like that, having them as your sounding board, having them giving you sort of your frame of reference is not very advantageous. And so he borrows the metaphor from watching his entrepreneur friends, like how they would get a board of advisors around their company. And those people would help steer the direction of the company. And he said, it just, it made the company better. And so what if I started doing that in my own life, like who would those people be? And that's when he really reflected on those people that he was spending the time with and realized, God, like if these are the people that are my sounding board, if these are the people giving me advice, like this is just a disaster waiting to happen. And so began to really clean house, began to find people that were empowering him, that could give him advice, that were willing to tell him the truth, um, and that were just going to make him a better version of himself. And I think that is, that is beyond critical. Um, so I'll give you the example of a fruit salad. This is coming to me right now. So um, I used to get really pissed off when people would put like watermelon and pineapple and melon all in the same bowl. Why? Because each one would take the flavor of the ones that they were touching. And humans are exactly like that. And I hate melon. I hate pineapple and I love watermelon. So my watermelon would end up tasting like pineapple and melon, which just pissed me off. So whoever you're hanging around with, like you're getting their flavor. Like if they are, um, jerks, if they are pessimistic, if they are putting all these limiting beliefs on themselves, like it cannot help but infiltrate you. And you're just going to pick up some of that. And so bringing yourself to a different situation where you're around incredibly positive people, optimistic people, people that love seeing other people shine, that want to help, that then rubs off on you. And it is insane how that culture then affects everything. Like when I think about the group that we put together here and how everyone reflects back like positivity, it's just it, like on those days where you're not feeling it, Somebody else is going to. And so then you're gonna re-catch that vibe and you're gonna sure. be feeling it again. And so it's just like it becomes this incredibly positive place. Which is why like one thing I just came to know at a very visceral level at Quest, when someone becomes a bad flavor, just to stick with my fruit salad metaphor, they must go. Because dude, it, it affects everybody. And they may be insanely gifted at their job. They may, may be making you a ton of money. The moment they're a bad flavor they have to go. With, with empathy in my heart,
0: but they gotta go. Cool, so there's, the, um, there's sort of the five people that you're closest with. Those are most often your family and friends, right? That you need to make sure that the, those are the right people you're around. But what about for someone you know, on a professional level, did, would you say, because the way I read into this was he was also thinking about um, people who could help him on his career, right? People who had different specializations in business or whatever the case may be to help him build his career. Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) I I think that that's great. It won't necessarily apply to a a lot of people. Sure. um, Because he's saying that from an entrepreneurial standpoint, so he's really garnering people from all over. But I will say, um, and I can't remember if this was embarking Up the Wrong Tree or something uh, else, but talking about how informal mentors are actually way more effective than formal mentors. And if your company assigns you a mentor, the likelihood that that person will actually impact your career is virtually zero. But if you can find somebody in the company as an informal mentor, who really feels good about helping you out um, and they're not like your direct supervisor uh, and you guys have sort of an unofficial relationship, like that is, I don't remember the stat, but it was like wildly predictive of that person's success. And the more mentors you have, the better because you're getting more input from people. It's not just one person sort of giving you their worldview. Like Mm -hmm. you're really taking it um, in from a bunch of different angles. I think that's very, very powerful. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really, really critical. And if you're working at a place where, uh, there is nobody that can help you out or there's a very fearful culture where people don't open themselves up, they, uh, want to stamp you down. They don't want to help you succeed. Um, leave, leave, get out of that job, find a new one in no uncertain terms. I don't care if you have a family to take care of without leaving that job, go find a new one. Like don't make excuses, get out. It is so insanely toxic. To stay in an environment like that. Nothing will rob you of the joy of being alive faster than hating your job. It just you just too many hours there.
0: Yeah. What um any other tips for creating your advisory board professionally? Beyond looking within your company.
1: So I will oh uh, beyond looking, well, if you're saying outside of the company, online, 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 read. Read. Uh, so those are like no one can stop you right so um there are so many um influencers out there now that have legitimate and powerful advice and they are pumping out content furiously not the least of which is us hi um so it's just it's really become a movement um books have been a movement for whatever uh, like when did the printing press come into existence i mean hundreds of years
0: Yeah. so 17th century or something is it uh, multiple know. hundreds we yeah, know that yeah. uh, which
1: it's interesting the printing press came because uh, wine boomed in Germany and then collapsed oh, who I would have known know that. neither did I and then I read it and thought that's so fucking weird that the same thing that presses grapes is what pressed letters hmm. Not to derail. So um, those two things are like super easy. Go do those immediately. Obviously, if you're watching this, you're at least part of the way there. Um, and then the other is online or go to meetups. Like that the whole reason that we're doing the meetups is so that you can not only meet us, but meet the other people that are in this group uh because a core tenet of being an impactivist is a, des- a desire, not a willingness a desire like you actually want to help other people yeah um that to me is just so important and is something i i really believe everyone should foster in themselves um so you don't need to be born with it it's literally something that you develop uh so go out help other people um so that that's really big and then just facebook groups is another great way find like-minded people you may never meet them but um the internet changed everything and it's beautiful and wonderful and yes, it can be shallow and stupid and it can be full of trolls but it can also be amazing and just go look at our YouTube comments. I delete the shit out of anything that's like trollific or um, (laughs) just, yeah, anybody being a dick. Like, got to go. So, yeah. You live in in an amazing world where the internet connects seven, not seven, it was what, three billion people or whatever online. It's billions of people Find the people that think like you think. Find the people that inspire you that you want in your life. Reach out, add value, connect, ask for the connection. Just tell them, I'm interested in what you're doing. I'd love to connect. And for guys, and I am the most guilty of this, something super weird about making adult friends, but like, just put yourself out there.
0: Nice. All right. What are the, let's bring it back to the episode a little bit. Um, one of the things that helped Jay Williams get through his um, tough time after the accident was understanding that basketball did not define him. And he says yeah. in the episode, you are not what you do. Um, because before that, basketball was his life. So I wanted to ask you about that. And also, since you've spent so much time being an entrepreneur, does that define you?
1: Yeah, so I think that there's a difference between the path, what you do, and your goal, which is not who you are, but it's, it, it should be a reflection of it. Um, again, I don't think this is innate, and I've told my own background, I'll give a really shorthand version, um, I encounter a sort of big brother situation with an inner city kid in South Central Los Angeles that, like, touches my heart in a way that I don't know how to convey, it becomes a very long-term relationship, it was like eight, eight and a half years, uh, then I get into Quest, and I'm now working with inner city uh, kids again, I mean, these are sort of late teens, early 20s, um, and It just reminded me like the difference between someone who succeeds and someone who doesn't is their mind. It is not that there aren't insanely capable people um, in the inner cities, it's just the mindset there is, is absolutely terrifying and reminds me of how much that makes me feel alive. And so it, it becomes this parallel thing. I really wanted to help people with their body as a way to help them with their mind. I mean, it was, it was literally me. So Quest started as a conversation between my partner and I, but it was me asking, how, my sister's clinically depressed. How do I make her be happy? And so we got talking about how much the body influences the mind and vice versa. And just like, if we're really gonna help people with this pandemic that we see you know, just mushrooming around the world, that you've gotta make food that people choose based on taste. And so just realizing that there's also people that they're not struggling with the physical, but they're struggling tremendously mentally. And so I knew that those were gonna be the, the dual things that I wanted to address with my life because essentially they're the same thing. It's pulling someone out of a hopeless situation. And whether that hopelessness is I don't believe I can do what I want and that my life is happening to me and I'm not in control or whether that's like my body is out of control and I feel a victim of my genetics or my circumstance or whatever and showing them a path out of that as well. So that to me is just like the absolute juice. So the goal for me then is is a reflection of that, of of who I have become over time, the things that I've fed into um, and so... The fact that my day to day life is about pulling people out of the matrix is because I really do see that as a reflection of who I want to be. Mm -hmm. I want to be somebody that helps. I want to be somebody that strives to be capable of real greatness, of somebody that understands the human mind. Like, these are all the things that I do consider who I am. So, while entrepreneurship is like not necessarily fundamental to that, like, it seems pretty important to getting to my goals. Uh, But the moment that I felt like either I want to change my goal, it's no longer who I am because I believe that we are constantly in a state of change, um, or I believe that it was just no longer a valid path to get where I want to go, then I would ditch it.
0: Nice. All right. Just want to remind everyone we're on Facebook Live doing After Impact discussing Jay Williams, his recent episode, if you haven't checked it out. We'll maybe let you slide. It's only been out for a few hours, but it's really good. So listen to it on your way home from work, on the podcast, or check it out on YouTube, at home, at the gym, wherever you are. It's really good. Um, One of the things that I want to talk about was, ah, he said he says at some point in the episode, I had to go from why me, referring to the accident, to why not me. And I wanted to to have you talk a little bit about why that mental reframing, that subtle shift, is so important to success. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I got from Tony Robbins. And he talks about if you change
1: the question, you change everything. And at first, I didn't quite understand what he meant by that. But it is literally reframing. So if you look at something, and Jay Williams could very easily say, hey, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I think most people would be like, yep, and let's hope that that it remains the worst thing that ever happened to you. Sure. Nothing's ever worse than that. And so it would be very easy to spiral out of control and to totally get lost in, You know, I was making millions of dollars a year, able to help my family, um, people look at me with awe, and, and now it's all gone, yeah. um, and how traumatic that would be but you have the opportunity to flip it and do what Tony Robbins suggests, and I think this is utterly brilliant, not many people do it, and ask of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Ask in all sincerity, how is this the best thing that ever happened to me? Like in what way? In what way is this actually really powerful? And Jay's life is to me the perfect example of that because it is, you could very honestly, Look at how it's the worst thing. No question. It's there. It's obvious. But there really is a flip side to that coin. And I touch on it in the episode, which is his mind has gone through something utterly traumatic and brutally difficult, but it's the pressure that turned the coal into a diamond. And with that, I now think he's going to be capable of something. He has proven so much to himself, the willingness to fight through and his way back mentally. Like what he did physically to come back is, is already inhuman, and all people can see is that he didn't get back into the NBA, but like, dude, what happened to his body is insanity, and for him to come back and still play at an elite level, which he did, by the way, and he went on to play, I think, in the European League or something, um, so it's still just like at an insane elite level that the vast majority of athletes never make without an accident and he was able to get back to that level which is already just crazy but also that he's now been able to apply that discipline to turning himself into an entrepreneur turning himself into a sportscaster like it's it's just unbelievable and because he's been able to do that and ask the words he uses why not me right like by flipping it, reframing it, and looking at, like, okay, like, I can actually bear this. I can help other people turn this into something. I can now show people a path out of that darkness. And he talks about that, like, having written the book and then getting the feedback from people, like, whoa, in seeing your story, I realize now I can get out of my own difficult position. And him being like, oh my God, like, that's so powerful and so wonderful and so inspiring for him that it makes it easy to keep fighting and keep going. So, once you reframe it and start looking at it like that, that answer is also there for you. And that's what I want people to hear. If if what you look for is how it's bad, you will find it. But if what you look for is how it's empowering, amazing, beautiful, you will find it.
0: Yeah. That's great. Do you have any tips for building up that muscle of, of being able to ask that question and look at every situation that way?
1: No question. Um, so... It is just like building your body. So if I said to you, I'm never gonna give you any advice, but you need to put on muscle, and you walk into my gym here at the house, what would be the first thing that you would do? I would just start lifting. Right? Yeah. You'd pick up a weight. You'd probably curl it. I think that's where most people start. It's maybe the most obvious thing that you're used to. Um, You'd figure out some of the machines that you press stuff, so you'd probably do some pressing. And you would do a relatively basic routine But you would like the muscles that you sort of obviously know how to use, you would just start doing that. And then you would find, huh, over time, like you just get stronger. And even if I don't fuck with your diet, you're going to get stronger. You're going to be able to lift heavier stuff. It is exactly the same with how do you reframe? You reframe. You go and you say, okay, this is very clear to see how this is the worst, but how is this the best? And I'm going to bet your first answers are going to kind of suck. And they're going to be really basic and really simple. And you're going to fumble your way. And it's going to seem like fake and awkward. and yeah. You're not going to like doing it. And then, hopefully, you do it again. And you, oh, like you have that one insight. You're just, you every day, let's say, you force yourself, just like going to the gym, you force yourself to ask. And to really look, sincerely, to look for how is this the best way. And 10 days into it, you're in the shower. And you're not even thinking about it. You're just washing your hair. And all of a sudden, you go, you know what's interesting? Like, Having gone through that actually has made me pretty tough mentally and I like I could tell people about that and I bet that would help somebody who just is back where I was the beginning of this thinking it's utterly hopeless and I already know that that's not true because I made through so much of the physical therapy and I just kept making it through and making it through and that's interesting. I've never actually put words and that's how it begins, right? You just have like these little moments of awareness and then if you want to get into like the complexities, so let's say to stick with the lifting analogy, the next thing I would do is go online and look up. What does a workout look like? Like Mm -hmm. what are my goals? I'm trying to add muscle. I'm trying to lose fat and literally just type that into the search bar and so rather than pretend that we don't live in the age of the internet, go actually do that. So uh, reframing, type it into YouTube. You're going to get thousands of results about first of all a lot of it will be how to reframe a painting but then you'll start to refine your search terms reframe your mind reframe a problem and you're, you will be hit with a deluge of amazing advice and you start sifting through it i mean it's it's always putting in the reps right yeah read about it
0: research practice read some more research practice and we've talked about this a lot on after impact but it feels like self-awareness is a key component here It's just knowing when to ask yourself those questions, being aware of the situations that are making you stressed or uncomfortable or depressed. Um, I see that as being really key to Jay Williams' story, and he talks about that a lot, like going in, reflecting, um, thinking about who you are, your identity. And it also made me think about the David Goggins episode because he talks about that a lot, and both of these guys have gone through an extraordinary amount of suffering. Mm. So I wanted to ask you, you, what do you see as the relationship there? Well, first,
1: Goggins is like Rome. All roads lead back to Goggins. <laughs> um, it, it really is. Goggins talks about this so powerfully, and it's something that I think Jay would agree with most vehemently. Suffering is, is the test. Suffering is the thing that helps you grow. Like When you're willing to show up, take the test, find out where am I, and then push and practice and learn and then take the test again, put yourself through suffering. Like right now, um, I was owed a meal at 11, uh, but I'm really trying to rush back into ketosis. So I skipped my meal, which meant that I had to do um, a fasted podcast and then a fasted episode of Im- uh, After Impact. And then I'll do a fasted, I have like some prep thing for another podcast. Um, so I'll, I'll do that all fasted. So just like those little things, it's like, I'm starving right now, uh, because I'm not fully back into ketosis yet. It is the worst kind of hunger ever. Um, but you just do it. And those are the little things. It doesn't always have to be like running a marathon or doing, you know, the 135 miles that Goggins does, or running on broken feet. Like it, it doesn't have to be taken to that extreme, but getting yourself well into the zone of suffering and just gut check. Like, where am I? Am I able to push through this? Like, I cannot tell you on, um, Monday yesterday when, so we got back, uh, what late or early Sunday. So just coming off vacation mode, totally out of ketosis on Monday, literally every like neuron in my brain was like, you can eat more. It's all good. Like you can eat more. No worries. Like this will be fine. And, you just have to like gut check yourself. Like despite how hungry I am, I have bright lines. There are certain things that I eat and certain things that I don't. You just fucking do it and you find out where you are and then you push yourself a little bit farther and yeah, that's how it gets done.
0: But I feel like you've also been built up that, that mental muscle to be able to, um, persevere in those times of, of being tested. Right. So, Absolutely. So what do you do before all of this? What where where are the moments of self-reflection where you're, creating that narrative about yourself.
1: I mean, this is infinitely recursive, right? Until you get back to the point where you walk into the gym not knowing what anything is and you pick up a weight and you curl it. Um, and look, we're all in, in a very fortunate position where we can research this stuff and look up books and all that. And literally you can just read my 25 books in order. This is what they're meant to do. You just need to get to, to really answer your question for somebody who is just beginning and they don't have, they haven't developed their grit yet. They don't have the, um, phrases and things that I say, they don't have the 25 bullet point belief system. Um, it comes down to just accepting that you're going to be a little bit shitty at it in the beginning. But if you keep at it, you're going to get better and better and better. And these skills are going to stack on themselves. And then at some point it becomes a force multiplier. And if you're willing to do this for a really, really long time, and this has become, this was like a really eye-opening moment for me. And I know I've already talked about it a couple times. And, and I will keep talking about this. Um, an, a budding entrepreneur wrote to me in DM and said, um, look, I've been at this for a year. And all of my friends now have good jobs. I'm still really struggling. Like, what can you say to me to... Like, give me the motivation I'm gonna need to see this through. And my answer was, you really need to decide if you want to do it, because you're gonna suck at this for a really long time. And before I was an overnight success, I was struggling to be an entrepreneur for like, uh, probably 11 years before I had any taste of success. So like, imagine for over a decade, the only thing you have to show for it is crushing anxiety. And 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 I I, I mean that, like, I don't know how else to explain it to people like real anxiety. Like I should have gone to a doctor anxiety and it was just escalating and getting worse and worse and worse because I was always in this position of panic, like I didn't know what I was doing and I just kept forcing myself so far outside my comfort zone and I did not understand that to obsessively imagine how things could go wrong is how you develop chronic anxiety. And so I just made, like, a catastrophically dumb decision because I didn't understand the human mind well enough yet. And, by the way, anxiety is the thing that made me obsessed with learning about the brain because I was just like, I can't live like this. This is so fucking miserable. Um, And so just starting to read about it. And, yeah, I mean, that's a whole long story with Daniel Amen. We need need to do a piece of
0: content around that too. We haven't really told the story about overcoming anxiety.
1: A, yes, we need to do that. And then the other one, which is tied to depression, which has not been the thing that I struggled with, but um, suicide, gotta do content around that. Uh, just get hit up way too often with people saying that like, yep, I don't know why I'm living anymore. Like that shit scares me. Um, so it, it really is like just knowing that you're not going to be good at this at first, but understanding that the way the human mind works is one piece of knowledge stacks to the next, stacks to the next, stacks to the next. And if you're willing to absolutely, divorce yourself from the notion of patience and have zero patience and go balls to the wall every day to get amazing but no, there's no finish line that you're gonna go all out every day forever and like that's the beauty and that's why to your point you have to enjoy the process. You can't just enjoy it, you've gotta be giddy. Dude, I'm giddy at the fact that people write books. I'm legitimately, when I pick up a book And like the first page like captures me. I'm just like, oh my God. Like I I love it so much. And that's why, like, I I there's two things I know with certainty. Everyone likes sushi. And everyone likes to read. And anyone who thinks they don't like sushi. They just haven't found the type of sushi that they like, and I'll use sushi as a catch-all for like crazy deep-fried rolls and all kinds of crazy shit, but the food you will find at a sushi restaurant was my greatest nightmare. Remind me to tell that story, where I had, other than being lost at sea, my greatest, you're gonna think I'm kidding. Other than being lost at sea, my greatest fear was sushi. I had so (laughs) much food trauma as a kid, I wouldn't go to people's houses depending on what they were eating, like legitimate, like sweaty palms, Food trauma. Food used to make me dry heave if I didn't like the texture. Whoa. Dude, legitimately, wow. like, food used to terrify me. I got in this whole thing. with. I thought I was going to be fired one time and I went to a sushi restaurant and I hid over $200 worth of sushi in my napkin and then the waiter dropped it on the floor. Like, I'm, I am not kidding. Whoa. So when I say everyone likes sushi, it is because I have gone through such a transformative process with sushi that I get it. The same with reading. Like, cultivate that kind of love, the love of learning to enjoy the process, you've just really, really got to find a way to fall in love with it. I think it is absolutely universal. There is something that everyone is excited about. They may not have like encountered enough um, like topics to have found that spark of interest because it's not gonna start as a passion. It's gonna start as a spark of interest. Then you're going to go deeper into that. You're going to fan those flames. You're going to like really delve into that world. You're going to use the skills that you're acquiring. Like, but humans are wired to love that. So people need to like really embrace the process of encountering a whole lot of stuff to find the sparks of interest, to fan those flames. Yeah. So yeah, like that at the end of the day is how you get into the virtuous cycle that will ultimately be something just insanely powerful. But you have to start knowing you're going to be bad at it.
0: Nice. All right. Uh, The title of Jay Williams' book is Life is Not an Accident. Um, You touch on this in the interview that he believes everything happens for a reason. You do not believe that. Um, So Mm -hmm. I want you to explain the difference and why you don't believe things happen for a reason.
1: Well, let's start with the really hard and controversial one. Nothing happens for a reason. Life is purely a string of events that have been set forth from whatever i'll just say it's the big bang i don't think we really know maybe this is the matrix and it was literally a few lines of code that started it all whatever i don't care um but at the end of the day like there's no puppeteer who is going you prayed really hard and therefore i'm going to give you what you want like both sides think god is on their side so just do the math it doesn't add up you can't have it so That, to me, doesn't diminish anything. I think there is so much meaning to be extracted from what happens like there's a great meme that was um everything happens for a reason it's just that sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and didn't work hard enough or whatever (laughs) you're stupid and you make bad decisions i think that's what it was and i laughed so hard at that and i was like okay like if that's when we say that everything happens for a reason then absolutely i'm on board with that as long as you can say sometimes the reason is that i'm stupid and i make bad decisions then sure uh I think it is so important to find meaning in everything that happens because that goes into narrative, becomes incredibly powerful just understanding the way that the human mind works. Uh, I think that's insanely powerful. And so when somebody tells me that everything happens for a reason, in my mind, I just replace the words with, I find meaning in everything that happens. Okay, great. Um, and, and I really think most people that say that, um, they're doing it for two reasons. One, to find something positive in what happened super smart must do no matter what Mm -hmm. why how absolutely critical and then the other is that if you believe that an omnipotent god who has your best interests at heart did it to you it's not as hard to deal with so i get the temptation
0: but you think ultimately it's not effective
1: uh well i will just give you this stat and then i will steer us out of these insanely dangerous waters (laughs) uh If you believe somebody is praying for you, if you're in the hospital and you Mm -hmm. believe somebody's praying for you, you're more likely to
0: die. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. Mm -hmm. So even if someone has a... Something goes wrong in their life, right? And I know you believe in extreme ownership and this is all my fault and I'm the reason this happened, which is a totally legitimate position. But something bad happens and they go, you know what, everything happens for a reason. I'm going to pick myself back up. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to find another solution and things will come together. Yep. Do you think that that's different from just saying, this is all my fault and I have to go forward and finding new solution?
1: I think that it's different. I think that it's weaker, but I think that it's on a spectrum of usability. Okay. And as long as there's that second part, which is I'm going to do something and like really get after it. So to give you an idea, I love the parable of the person who's like drowning and the boat comes by like, hey, do you need help? No, God is going to rescue me. And, you know, whatever, three or four boats come by and the person ultimately drowns, gets to heaven and says, hey, WTF? thought you were going to help me. And God's like, dude, I sent four boats. Like what else did you want? So that notion of you still have to do something, right? So opportunities present themselves. Do you take advantage of them or not? Um, this isn't like passive. I don't think anybody, even the most diehard religious person, I think they know that they're meant to be active. They're meant to like do something. And so even if the last laugh is on me and there really is a God and, um, I'm fine with that because I am so on board with being active. Like just nothing that I looked at tells me that if there is a God that they would want us to be passive. So cool. I'm on board. Nice. Get active.
0: All right. Good stuff. Uh, one last question and then we'll wrap it up. Jay talks about the past a lot. Obviously he had to overcome his accident and get past that mentally. Um, to him, he says the past doesn't matter. You have to put it to bed. Right. Does the past have any utility?
1: What a great question. So I'm so, I love it. I have an answer and I'll I'll give it to you. But just for a second, I I would stand up and clap right now if it wasn't hella awkward (laughs) for the camera angles. That is such an awesome way to phrase that question. The past has massive utility. I think there are things you need to move towards and I think there's things that you need to move away from, but you have to be so careful. Cause there I think now Jay is at a point where the past is utility. But I think that for more than a decade it was just corrosive. Mm. And letting something be corrosive is such an ineffective strategy. When I talk about beauty and rage, and I talk about like knowing when to hate yourself and knowing when to love yourself, like if you if the hatred isn't a tool, if like that isn't done with the, the wink of like, I really love myself, don't worry. Like, if you're not able to do that, then stay away from it. And there are people that should not fuck with that because they're just not ready for it. Like, if somebody says like, I don't even know why I would live, you're not gonna hear me say, you gotta know when to love yourself, know when to hate yourself, motherfucker. Like, all I'm gonna say is, bro, Love yourself. Love yourself whatever you did whatever happened to you like love yourself with all of it the good the bad the ugly man meet yourself with compassion meet yourself with respect like this this thing called life is hard mm-hmm. like don't it's it's corrosive now clearly you've gotten to the end of some rope and it just doesn't make sense so when it's a kick in the ass and it motivates you and it gets you going useful use it 100% but you've got to know when to lean on one and when to lean on another. It's not like I'm saying every day needs to be 80% love and 20% hate. Like you may go maybe 10 years of all love is what you need to then get back in track. Fantastic. So you've just got to know, like, and this this is where, cause earlier when you're talking about self-awareness, I just so wanna rebel against that. I really wanna believe that you don't need anything inherent other than uh, you know, a brain that functions normal ish um i want to believe you can develop all of that stuff but this is the one time where you've got to know like does it help you to beat yourself up because if the answer is no stop and stop
0: instantly Mm -hmm. can we get a little bit more tactical on that like how would you utilize the past if let's say you're prepared to look at it you're prepared to look at the mistakes you made things that didn't come together, how would you use Oh, that?
1: that's wonderfully tactical. So um, let's look at Quest and I'll just give you a few things that I did wrong. Um, I really believe that culture is one of the most important things in a company, period. It's, it should be one of the driving forces behind taking a job there because I really, really think there's just too many studies on hating your job like shortens your life and lowers your life happiness. And I mean, just like everything could possibly matter if the game that we're playing is really brain chemistry. When you don't like your job, when the culture is negative, corrosive, whatever, like you fucking hate it. So as somebody who I want to generate a lot of wealth for myself, I have an unending fear of doing so in a parasitic fashion. So when we were building Quest, I-, I was like, culture's all that matters. Like, this has gotta be the fucking best thing that ever happened. I make a promise, every employee that works here, Quest's gonna be the best thing that ever happened to you. And, and for some people it was, and for other people, it was like unending hatred. And it was just like, it was so surreal. I'm like, for literally, some people, the exact same thing is impacting them differently. And what I realized was I was awesome at cult of personality and atrocious at scaling culture. And so that was like one of those things where I was so excited to learn and figure out like, okay, I planted seeds here that worked when we were small. They did not work for everybody when we got big. They still work for some people, but not for other people. And I just saw that the farther you got from me, the weirder my philosophies and beliefs seem because you've never seen me work hard. You don't hear it directly from me. It's always like being told to you by somebody else. I'm a guy sort of off in a distant office. You have no idea like how hard I'm working or how effective I'm being. Like you can't see it. So like cracking that nut like is my obsession here at impact theory so you can imagine like i'm on an almost daily basis in fact your and my relationship is predicated on me recognizing my failures at quest because i did not understand the difference between a leader which i think i'm exceptionally good at and a manager which i think i am not only bad at i don't want to be good at it it does not speak to me like somebody wrote to me uh and said Um, what is it that draws you to being a mentor? I don't want to say, nothing. I don't want to be a mentor. Like, that to me, you're a mentor. Like, people can come to you like, hey, dude, help me, like, on a one-on-one basis, like, walk me through this, and I know what a disconnect this is going to be for people. I love adding value. I love it so much, I can't tell you. But I want to add value at scale. Mm -hmm. Like, at scale. And at scale, necessarily, I can't mentor you. So I think mentorship requires, like, one-on-one time, like highly tactical, and the only people that do well around me are people that are self-guided, that are self-starters, so you do great. You don't, maybe secretly you want more of that from me, but you never say anything. Like you're so self-directed and you're so good with then carrying that to the rest of the team that that is me going, I need to encourage that, which is one of the reasons that I state it so often, uh, and I know I'm using my appreciation language and we both have to figure <laughs> out because yours is acts of service and neither of us know how to do that in business. <laughs> so we need to fucking figure that out. Yeah. But it's like, I, I, I at least need to say it in my language as a way of like putting it out into the fucking ether. But it's like, I now recognize how insanely important that is. And I became obsessed with Gary V's notion of a chief heart officer because I realized you have to formalize stuff like that. Like, And I bet people look at that and go, oh, that's silly. Dude, and this is one of the things where my partners and I didn't agree. I, I be, it, it became so obvious to me that we needed stuff like that. And I think to them, maybe it seemed a little bit more silly. But it's like, no, no, no. Like, You have to formalize that shit. Otherwise, you will only ever have, like the group around me that I could touch, the group around me that knew me, that felt something from me, like they were totally on board. But how do you formalize it? How do you get it, like, I began to realize at Quest, and and this is a very long-winded way of saying, like, this is how obsessively I think about the mistakes that I made at Quest. Um, You're only what you write down when a company reaches a certain size. Like, right now, at Impact Theory, we have virtually nothing written down. But, oh, dear God, like, when Ibrahim put in uh, Slack, hey, you should probably write this down for when the um, next round of interns come in. Like, I actually don't know, like, what is our culture here? And I was like, that was the uh, an alarm bell that I would not have known to pay attention to at Quest. But like got my full and complete attention when he said it here because it's happening even earlier than I thought. We only have, what we say, 12 people? So we have 12 people here, and it's like, already, oh God. So it's like, yeah. you really have to formalize this shit. Anyway, that's an example I could keep going... But that answers the question. You just have to think about it. Look nakedly. I don't let it erode my self-esteem. I don't let it erode my sense of self. I don't think I'm worse because I am, that I'm not a good manager. Um, if I wanted to be a good manager, then I would put all my time and energy into becoming a better manager. But the, the bet that I'm making is that what I enjoy doing, what I want to do, and what the company uniquely needs from me is leadership.
0: Uh, so that's where I'm focusing on my energy. Nice. All right, well, I think we should wrap it up there. This was a good episode of After Impact on Jay Williams.
1: Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of the community. And again, I'm going to be at Comic-Con here in San Diego. So if you're watching this live, uh, be sure to hit me up on IG or Twitter or Facebook. is probably the worst one uh, for me to get it in timely fashion. Uh, but if you hit me up on one of the other two, hopefully um, also watch, watch my Facebook, ironically, because that's where we'll make the announcement of where I'm going to be. I do want to do... Excuse me, a a quick like hello, and just get a sense of uh, if you guys have encountered anything cool. Uh, I'm going there very specifically because this is the beginning of our um, step into traditional narrative content. We are finally in the final stages of uh, contracts. So looks like we'll have our first two projects moving forward very, very soon, which I'm very excited about. I need writers. I need artists. Uh, So if you see somebody that fits that bill, do let me know. All right, guys. It's a weekly show. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.